This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, November 2nd of 2022. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. Thank you for joining us here on listener-supported community radio. Coming up on today's program, love locally crafted comic books and graphic novels? We'll hear about a graphic novel premiere at the Dairy Arts Center coming up this Saturday. Chris Moore will have his weekly commentary, Make Them Hear You. And then herbalist Brigitte Mars will bring us her regular Wednesday feature, Naturally. A BBC News update is at the bottom of the hour, then it's the high tower lowdown. After that, we'll hear about trends in voter turnout from three social scientists in a media briefing hosted by Sideline. Then at 9.30, Uncle Jeff will be in the Boulder studio for the morning sound alternative. That's all still ahead this morning, but first, a look at the headlines with KGNU's Claire Purnell. A mass shooting on East Colfax resulted in the death of one person and the wounding of five others Tuesday afternoon. Three of the wounded are in critical condition. The shooting occurred around 1.50 p.m. on the 1400 block of Verbena Street. Denver police say they found out about the shooting through their shop spotter surveillance system as well as numerous 911 calls from the area. Denver Police Commander Matt Clark gave further details at a media briefing Tuesday afternoon. At this point, we know that three individuals were in a vehicle that was traveling northbound on uh, Verbena Street in the 1400 block. Our victims were on the west curb line on the side on the east side of a, of a market there at Colfax and Verbena. Uh, they were just standing on the sidewalk, no apparent conflict there. The vehicle stops at Colfax. Three individuals got out of that vehicle and fired multiple rounds from handguns at the group uh, standing on the sidewalk. Police say the suspects fled eastbound on Colfax, abandoned their car, and then got into a black SUV. An employee at a motel near the scene of the shooting told the Denver Post he heard between 20 and 30 gunshots fired during the incident. The DPD have begun searching for the identity of the shooters as well as the motive behind why they shot the victims. The Arapahoe County Coroner's Office has identified the victims of a fatal shooting that occurred Sunday night. Authorities are calling the murders at a house near the intersection of East 10th Avenue and Geneva Street an ongoing domestic situation. The coroner's office identified three of the victims as members of the same family and the fourth as a renter in their home. The suspect is the ex-boyfriend of the sister and daughter of two of the victims. Those same two victims, the father and daughter, had filed for protection orders against the suspected murderer a week prior to the incident. A mother and her 10-year-old daughter died in an apartment fire that started early Monday morning. KGNU's Kiara Damare reports. Police are investigating two juvenile suspects they believe intentionally started the fire in the 32-unit Tiffany Square Apartments on Sheridan Boulevard. The fire, which began early Monday morning, damaged 14 units and killed 31-year-old Kathleen Payton and her 10-year-old daughter, Jasmine Payton Agayo. Nine residents and one firefighter were injured in the fire as well. Three residents are still hospitalized. According to the Denver Post, occupants of the 32 units continue to be displaced. In a news release, Lakewood Police said, It appears that the fire was intentionally set and a full homicide investigation is underway. The two suspects, who haven't been identified because they're under the age of 18, will face first-degree murder and first-degree arson charges. For KGNU, I'm Kiara Damari. Governor Jared Polis presented his 2023-2024 to budget Tuesday, days before the Colorado midterm election, where he is up against Republican Heidi Ganahl. 
Colorado law requires that Polis release a November budget, and lawmakers say a more realistic breakdown in spending will come in January after election. In the meantime, Polis's budget increases state spending by nearly 7%, which, in a statement, he said is still below inflation rates. As many sources of federal and state pandemic relief funding slow, Governor Polis said he warned the state should prepare for a recession. In this week's budget proposal, Polis maintained a 15 percent general fund, saying in a statement that the state needs to prepare for the unknowns. It's not always a fun thing to do, he said, but it is a fiscally prudent and sound thing to do. Douglas County voters will decide on two major funding measures next week. The county school leaders are encouraging voters to pass a $60 million mill levy override and a $450 million bond for their school district. The mill levy override ballot measure 5A would increase teachers' salaries in the district by 9%. Douglas County School District has struggled to compete with neighboring districts like Cherry Creek School District, where teachers are paid an average salary close to $20,000 more. To pay for a teacher raise, the county would increase property tax. The ballot measure proposes to tax homeowners $1 per week for every $100,000 of home value. Measure 5B increases the district's debt by $450 million. According to CBS News, the money would go toward opening new schools while maintaining older ones with better training programs and security upgrades. School leaders say taxpayers wouldn't see any tax increase from 5B. If they don't pass it, they would see a tax decrease. Glenwood Springs and Pitkin County have signed onto a petition to support overturning a federal decision authorizing the building of Uinta Railroad. As Aspen Public Radio's Caroline Yanez reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, the proposed railroad would transport crude oil from the Uinta Basin in Utah across over 100 miles of railroad, some of which passing along the I-70 and Colorado River Corridor. Eagle County filed a petition in February asking the Federal Surface Transportation Board to reconsider its December 2021 decision, allowing the railroad to go ahead. The amicus brief filed by Glenwood Springs and Pitkin County, along with eight other local governments across Colorado, claims the STB did not give enough consideration to the environmental impacts of the railway. Glenwood Springs city officials are concerned that the number of crude oil cars traveling on the Union Pacific Railway line would increase dramatically. Mayor Jonathan Godis also said in a statement that the STB's assessment that wildfire risk in the downline area was not significant, quote, ignores real-world evidence. The brief also claims the decision did not adequately address the risk of derailment, risks that come both from the size of oil tanker cars and the mountain terrain the cars would pass through, like Glenwood Canyon. Caroline Yanez, Aspen Public Radio News. Expect mostly sunny weather today in the Front Range, ahead of an upcoming drop in temperatures. In Denver, a high of 72 and a low of 40. In Boulder, a high of 69 and a low of 38. In Fort Collins, a high of 70 and a low of 35. The National Weather Service forecasts a storm system will bring snow to the mountains tomorrow, with light snow possible in Front Range cities Thursday evening. For KGNU, I'm Claire Purnell. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. The use of visual art as a medium to communicate about social issues is nothing new. But it is a more recent trend in the field of comic art and graphic novels. This Saturday, comics creator 
R. Allen Brooks will be at the Dairy Arts Center to debut the latest installment in the Anguish Garden series. Brooks is a Denver-based multimedia artist and professor at Regis University. He's also the creator of Colorado Sun's award-winning comic series, What I Miss. During Saturday's event at the Dairy, Brooks and other collaborating artists will do a drawing presentation, take part in a Q&A, and the first 50 attendees will receive a free copy of the new graphic novel. R. Allen Brooks sat down with KGNU's Dave Ashton during yesterday's afternoon Metro show. This event, uh, I'm going to have uh, two out of the three artists who work with me on it will be Kevin Karen and Julian Yates. And we're going to talk about the creation of the book and um, answer questions from the audience. And also anyone who attends will get a free copy of the graphic novel. Um, I, I should mention that it's, uh, if it were a movie, it'd probably be a PG-13. So it's not the book you want to hand your six-year-old, just because it has bad words in it mostly. But yeah, so we're going to um, do some live drawing while we talk to people. So, oh, fun. Yeah, so that should be pretty fun. And uh, yeah, just kind of talk about how it all comes together. Comic books are traditionally, when you think of like Marvel or DC, they're traditionally an um, assembly line process. Uh, that's the only way they can get it out every month. So uh, it'll be like writer, penciler, inker, letterer, colorist, and all, all of those are separate jobs. Right, the writer is not coloring. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, for this book, I wrote it and lettered it, and then I hired artists to do inks and colors and pencils and stuff like that. And so, yeah. And Sarah Menzel Trappel did the color. She unfortunately won't be able to be there on um, Saturday, but she's really great to work with. So pretty much every comic, with probably certain notable exceptions, are a team effort. Yeah, if somebody does it on their own, usually it's independent and usually it takes them years. <laughs> right. Because if you think about it, a uh, comic book is uh, every page is six to nine pieces of art. So if you're doing that for like 150 pages, it's a very labor-intense process. You know, I think it's this is a really great time to be expressing and exploring this comic book and graphic novel medium because it's it has an intergenerational appeal. Yeah. If you don't if you're getting older, you don't want to sit there and stress your eyes, you can <laughs> also get something out of it or if you're a kid, it's like a way to understand maybe more complex things with, you know, the the visual aspect. Right. Yeah. You know, I art direct for Pop Culture Classroom who does uh children's comics, educational yeah. comics and uh those are free on their website. But it's interesting to I think America for a lot of years decades really thought that comics were supposed to be specifically for children without recognizing that they're just the medium that any story can be told in. That's largely because of the 1950s. Uh, this the comic uh, code. Yeah, you know about that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a whole like McCarthy-esque thing going on with comics publishers where they were called before Congress. Big congressional hearings. Yeah. And, um, the comic industry then became self-censoring. Yes. Yeah. Instead of a government censoring board being set up, they were on the verge of that. And the guys were like, oh, no, we'll do the stamp of approval. Right. So the only thing that could come out without it was like Mad Magazine because yeah. they were saying it's a magazine. It's not a comic. Right. Yeah. So that lasted until 2001. So we're still wow. like, yeah, we're still like that's why it's sort of a new that people are like embracing uh, comic books and college courses and uh, as educational tools and stuff like that, because. America took a long time to recover from that. Wow, that's really crazy. I mean, I was selling comic books in a in a newsstand in 1997 or wow. five. Yeah, yeah, five. And so I, it was all under the Comics Code at the yeah. time, still. And so 
this um, you've got a, a weekly release where you're actually able to do more, as you said, surprisingly journalism mm-hmm. with your work for the Colorado Sun. Tell us about What Did I Miss? Yeah, so I love doing that one. Uh, I write that one. Corey Redford draws it, and Corey is she's a she's a great artist. Um, yeah, they're good. Yeah, so uh, basically the premise is that there's a white woman in her fifties who was in a coma for thirty years, and she talks with her neighbor, who's a black man in his twenties. That's Ozzy. Yes, and they talk about what I miss, what she missed all those years. Uh, that was how it began. It, um, but typically they're just sort of discussing what's happening in the world. Um, from different perspectives. And, uh, you know, the emotional undercurrent, like for her to have been in a coma for that long, she essentially feels like she's the same age. Her name's Myra. She feels like she's the same age as Asi um, because that was her last memories, really. Um, so there's a lot that w- it works in there because there's a friendship between um, an older person and a younger person, a white person and a black person, uh, a man and a woman. Like, um, there's a lot of a lot of room to be able to tell a lot of different stories. And so I, I really sort of enjoy being able to react to things that are happening in the world every week with that one. Yeah, it's really fun and also can be very informational. Like you did one about the the GoFundMe uh, oh, yeah. that helped save mutiny, save mutiny yeah. from the tax man. <laughs> um, and so... Th- to be able to just be that reactive to stuff and you know have so many people see it like yeah. that's got to feel pretty empowering it's such an interesting thing it is but it's also uh so the Colorado Sun doesn't have any comment section which i think is great right but no trolls yeah but it also means uh i rarely hear people's reaction to the comics like i just do them and then every once in a while out in the real world like i'll meet somebody um who'll be like, wait, you're the one who does that comic? You know? Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, you know? Uh, but it, ha- I mean, clearly there's some, because we've won those journalism awards and uh, the characters are painted on the side of Mutiny. So, like, there's been some kind of resonance. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, Mutiny has that mural where, like, uh, all the letters spell out Mutiny and there's art in each of the letters. Yeah. And my characters from that comic are in the inn. They were painted by uh, Jake Fairley, an artist friend of mine. Oh, cool. I have to peep for that out next time I'm on the block, which won't be too long from now, Um, because that really is sort of the beating heartbeat of Denver, you know, on the east-west axis as well as the north-south axis of the numbering systems. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, just a really epic place. And you got to, you know, mark it in time that the community came together and did something in support to make sure. Yeah. It made me cry, man. It made me, seriously, you know. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a dark corner of your creative life where mm-hmm. you were saying you had gotten some um, just like negative feedback in the form of personal threats because oh, yeah. of the series that you are um, releasing book two on, Anguish Gardens, mm-hmm. here this Saturday. What happened with Anguish Gardens 1? Yeah, so just uh, the announcement that I was going to write it, hadn't even written it yet, uh, was enough for somebody to send me death threats on Christmas Day. And I was like, go open a present, you know. <laughs> the uh, only coal in your stocking. <laughs> right. Uh, and he was hashtagging um, Comicsgate, which is uh, an online community that is known for harassing women and people of color in the comics world. Uh-huh. So he was trying to sort of sick them on me, and he was uh, threatening me from an anonymous in- Instagram account. 
Um, fortunately, you know, like I didn't, I guess Comicscape didn't, didn't follow through or whatever, but uh, it was disorienting. You know, I had to think about, okay, here I am creating comic books and people are like threatening my life over them. Um, and so, you know, I had to take a moment to think about this. What does this mean to me? Like, how do I react to this? And I thought at my time, at the time my niece was five and I was thinking, okay, well, so if anything that I can create can contribute to a better world for her, then it's worth whatever I suffer. Which was a hard thing to come to, but it rallied me, you know. I'd say that's very commendable um, to to take that stance and not back down. So, mm, where thanks. did yeah? But how did that inform where you took the story afterwards for volume two? And it, how long is this series going to go on? Uh, there'll be three. So this is the second of three. So it'll be concluded in the next book. Um, I'm determined to not let cowards influence the way I tell my stories. So, no, it didn't have impact on where the story went. <laughs> That's uh, what's up. Beyond me being more determined to to finish it and get it out, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, honestly, if you're making work of, and you don't get any haters, no type of negative feedback, maybe it's not strong. Maybe it's not powerful to have an impact. It's not great. Like, I, you know, I would rather it didn't happen, but... Um, I can't let it determine who I am or what I do. That was Denver artist R. Allen Brooks speaking with KGNU's Metro host Dave Ashton. Details about this Saturday's event are available at thedairy.org. Next is Make Them Hear You with Chris Moore. Make them hear you. Make them hear this is Make Them Hear You with ideas how you can have your voice heard before Congress. Rather than talk about the bills before Congress, today let's talk about who is likely to be our next Congress people and senators and what you can do about it in this last week before Election Day. Colorado's new District 8 has Democrat and pediatrician Yadiro Caraveo running against Republican Barbara Kirkmeyer. Colorado's newest district is 40% Hispanic, and Caraveo was thought to have a natural advantage in the race. But 538.com now shows Republican Kirkmeyer with an 89% chance of winning. You can contact either office if you want to help with the door knocking or phone banking for either campaign. Joe O'Day is the Republican running against Senator Michael Bennett. Bennett has a 91% chance of keeping his seat, with 52% of polled Coloradans planning to vote for Bennett versus 45% for O'Day. The governor's race is almost certain to go to the Democratic incumbent Jared Polis, with an over 99% chance of Polis winning against Republican Heidi Ganahl. The Lauren Boebert-Adam Frisch race in CD3, which covers much of the western slope, is within the margin of error. There is only a 2% gap between them in the polls. Nevertheless, Boebert is being given a 97% chance of winning there. So what can you do beyond voting? Well, if you know people who live in the hotly contested house races in CD3 or 8, contact them and encourage them to vote. The single most effective get-out-the-vote tactic is simply large numbers of people convincing their friends to vote. 
You may have friends who consider the Democratic and Republican parties to be basically the same, but the policies of each party are different in many ways, such as issues around abortion rights, appointment of judges, and election integrity. Real human lives are profoundly influenced by the policies of each party. Democrats nationwide are being given a 17% chance of holding on to the House. Not very encouraging, but the question may be whether people are more passionate about inflation or women's rights. Both issues really get people where they live. No pollster can successfully judge the passion of voters on either side. Michael Moore, an outlier when he predicted Trump would win in 2016, now predicts a blue tsunami. Anyone who thinks they can predict which side will inspire more voters to go to the polls may be in for a surprise. Convince your skeptical or cynical friends that elections have consequences. They matter. Between now and Election Day on November 8th, there is nothing more useful that you can do with the time you devote to political action than to get out the vote. Sign up to take part in a nonpartisan get-out-the-vote phone bank, such as the ones organized by the Center for Common Ground, or call the office of your favorite candidate and offer to volunteer. This is Chris Moore with Make Them Hear You. Time now for Naturally with herbalist Brigitte Mars. Greetings. Welcome to Naturally. This is Brigitte Mars to talk about ear health. Well, according to the principles of Asian medicine, the health of our ears is governed by the health of our kidneys. So we want to look at anything we can do to support the kidneys, such as getting off of allergens, avoiding things like coffee and alcohol. And when it comes to allergens, this can really differ for different people. I've seen many people with frequent ear infections do better by eliminating things that are common allergens like dairy, gluten, corn, soy, peanut butter. Always good to look at. Of course, we never want to put essential oils into our ear. You should just never, never do that. However, you can find at health food stores that if you have an ear ache, you can buy some type of ear oil that is olive oil with a little bit of garlic and maybe mullein flowers added to it. You generally warm the bottle of ear oil up by putting it in a cup of hot water just to warm the oil up and then put two drops while the client is laying down into the ear. It's always a good idea to treat both ears and stay laying down. Don't be alarmed. You may taste a couple drops of oil at the back of your throat. However, if blood or pus are coming out of the ear, that is a sign that you need to get medical attention. We always want to look at what is it that we're not willing to listen to or what are we not hearing. There's a saying in Asian medicine that says in order to be a good listener, one might have must have strong kidneys. So again, eating black foods can help to strengthen not only our bones, our teeth, the hair on our head, our kidneys, adrenals, but sense of hearing. So those black foods are going to include things like seaweed, black rice, black beans, black olives, and one of my favorites, chia seeds. So we never want to put anything into our ear. Uh, However, I was traveling with my sister once and she had a really serious ear infection and there were no health food stores around. I just peeled a clove of garlic, put it in the outer part of her ear, certainly not down into the ear canal, and put a hot, wet washcloth on the top. And that seemed to give relief and then remove the clove of garlic at the end. You can also do foot massage where the little toe meets 
the top of the foot. That is a reflexology point that corresponds to the ears. I also think it's really important to have good posture, doing things like the lion's pose, gentle neck rolls in yoga, might even look into having some cranial sacral work done. So who ear you are, string of wire, sound waves. Thanks for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally. That's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Hannah Stewart. Shannon Young has been our producer. Special thanks to Claire Purnell, Kiara Damari, Alexis Kenyon, Carolyn Yanis, Dave Ashton, Chris Moore, and Brigitte Mars for their contributions to today's program. A reminder that if you'd like to share a comment with KGNU, call us at 303-447-9911. We play the messages back on Tuesday mornings at 825 during the morning magazine. Stay tuned for the Hightower Lowdown and then a sideline media briefing on voter turnout trends. That's just after these news headlines from the BBC.